Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Greetings to everyone, wherever you're joining us from around the world. My name is Mark Ritchie, and I have the honor of serving as president for Global Minnesota, and we're grateful for your participation and interest today in our World Health Day 2021 special symposium, focus on the theme established for this year by the World Health Organization, Health Equity and Equality. Before we dive in, I wanna thank all who've made this very special and exciting day possible. First, of course, our staff at Global Minnesota, our board, our interns, our volunteers. We host these international days throughout the year, like World Food Day and International Day of Education. They're a tremendous team effort reflecting our mission of advancing international understanding and engagement. That's been our work since we were founded in 1951. You can check out our website to see how we're celebrating our 70th anniversary year with special events and programming continuing our work of connecting Minnesotans to the world and the world of Minnesota. Second, I wanna thank all of the speakers, the panel members, all who've graciously and generously donated part of this special day to be with us and to share with you and all of us their perspective, their ideas, their vision, their hopes, their dreams for health equity and equality. It's a hot topic, and we've assembled an amazing range of views that will inspire and challenge all of us. Third, we could not produce this kind of free global programming without generous support from our members and our sponsors. Today's program is a combination of our supporters who are members, both individuals and corporate, and those who sponsored this today's special event. Our premier sponsor is our long-term institutional member, GHR Foundation, based right here in our hometown of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Check out their website at GHR Foundation, and you'll see a hope-fueled, global-minded funder serving people and supporting limitless potential for good in the world. And if you check it out, you'll see that they are in partnership with communities and faith-based organizations worldwide working on everything from preventing Alzheimer's to supporting educational communities and keeping children together with their families. We also have to thank our sponsors for today, King Solutions, Blue Cross Blue Shield, and our leading corporate members, Carlson Family Foundations, Delta Airlines, Cargill, Medtronic, United Health Group, and those members, all of you out there who support us year after year, our program partner, World Affairs Council, and the organizations, our friends, our partners who are our promotional partners for today's events. Now there's some special instructions if you want to or need to use the American Sign Language and closed captioning in English feature, there's a special YouTube channel. You can find that in the YouTube description box. Thanks to St. Cloud State University for providing this service and for their devotion to accessibility for all. They are inspiring Global Minnesota to reach further, to do more, and they are a treasured partner for us in these international programs and beyond. And finally, thank you to all who've tuned in today, wherever you are on the planet, perhaps you are seeing this in the archive later. Your time is precious. We know this is a moment where there's life and death issues. There are also great challenges facing us. 
we have to look ahead. Thank you for taking time today to be part of this particular observance of World Health Day. Every year on this date, April 7th, we commemorate the founding of the World Health Organization back in 1948. This is the 71st anniversary with the first World Health Day being held in 1950. Every year there's a theme that reflects WHO's top priorities. Uh, some years it's things like road crashes, something I'm very interested in. Some years it's about special um, uh, breakthroughs on polio or tuberculosis. But this year they have chosen the theme I think was both perfect for the moment, but a tremendous challenge to all of us, building a fairer and healthier world with their focus on health equity and equality. And that will be reflected throughout the day with the voices of frontline leaders from all over the planet that you'll see on today's program. It also reflects this new phase where we are in the COVID-19 pandemic there's near universal global agreement that there's no way out of this crisis without health equity. It's not going to be possible for all of us to be safe until all of us are be safe. We can't have herd immunity and be protected from this coronavirus, COVID-19, until all of us are protected throughout the planet. And so that awareness is driving us into new ways of talking about and new ways of thinking about this future. One of the elements of that is, of course, the kind of race that we sometimes refer to between getting the whole world immune through maximum vaccinations and protection through our social approach, and the spinning out of new variants that continues to happen and will continue to happen until we reach that global immunity. New ones reported recently in the Philippines and India, but they're all over the planet. It's in a danger for all of us until we reach the kind of global immunity we need to. Even in the United States, we're now seeing scientists debating the need to begin vaccinating children so we can reach the proper level because of the high incidence of anti-vaccine campaigning, propaganda, and vaccine hesitancy in the United States. So we're debating why supplies are so limited when factories in South Africa, India, and other countries are begging for an end to the nationalism, protectionism, and monopoly practices that seem to be standing in the way of affordable vaccines for the whole planet that could get us to global immunity faster completely, more equitably, more equally. Some of us are still struggling with local distribution here in Minnesota in some places, around the nation, worldwide. We're also debating important new questions like vaccine passports. What are the pros and cons? What are the pros and cons of a greater time delay between first and second dosages of some of the highly specialized vaccines? And can that get us to having more people protected quicker. These are legitimate, important debates, and you'll hear some of that talked about today. Our world leaders have recently called for an international treaty on pandemic preparedness and response. This would be a huge step forward as well. And there's talk of a decade dedicated to global preparedness for pandemics and making sure all of us have the kind of advanced planning that is really required to think about that word resilient and sustainability. Over the past month, uh, it's been complicated. We've had six weeks of increasing uh, infections. Uh, some states in the United States have uh, really, really turned in the wrong direction. Uh, 
I can see that milestones that we don't want to see or we're beginning to reach. I think Brazil has reached a very high level of deaths, 300,000. Um, we are seeing difficulties in different parts of the world. And so while there's an optimism and a vision of beginning to move forward and beginning to tackle the health inequities and health equalities that we need to, there's also the awareness that there is much to be done every day to make sure we're keeping each other safe through distancing, through masking, through the other practices we know, and we're getting vaccine to the vulnerable populations, the frontline workers, our healthcare providers, and the people who've been at risk and have suffered the most throughout this entire year. A week or two ago, I was sent a, a, an interview that I watched very carefully. It was Her Excellency Reem Al-Hashimi, who chairs the giant world expo that's coming to Dubai starting in October. And she also chairs the United Arab Emirates National Committee for the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Recently, she spoke about her bigger vision. What should be the legacy of Dubai Expo? Some of you know the Eiffel Tower was the legacy of a French Expo. The Ferris wheel was the legacy of a Chicago Expo. She stated that she wants the legacy for the Dubai Expo to be an inclusive global care system, global health care system that was crisis proof and fit for the future. Some of you know Minnesota is bidding to host a World Expo in 2027 specifically on health, and we look forward to taking the baton from Dubai and carrying this vision of inclusion, of crisis proof, a future ready towards that 2030 deadline for sustainable development goals in health and other issues. Expos in the past were dreaming about the future and new inventions. It's remarkable that Her Excellency is thinking about the most important thing we need to do now is making the future inclusive, equitable, and crisis-proof. Some have called this year the great pause. I think of it as a year of great learning, where we've remembered the past, we've studied the science, we're taking on new commitments to each other that really bring to life a quote from one of our most beloved um, uh, former state senators, Paul Wellstone. Um, he would remind us often, we can all do better only when we all do better. If he was alive today, I think he would say with all the chorus of the whole planet, and we all must be safe by ensuring that we are all safe. Thank you again for joining us today and let's get on with our program. It's my honor, it's my privilege to introduce a woman who both was my teacher before I entered uh, public office, but she also was the inspiration for my decision to run for public office. My Lieutenant Governor, the Honorable Peggy Flanagan. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor Flanagan for joining us this morning. Buju, happy World Health Day. I'm Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, and I am so excited to be joining folks from every state in the United States and from over 65 countries. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a mom, a former state representative, a lifelong advocate for children and families, and a member of the White Earth Band of Ojibwe. Wherever you are in the world, access to healthcare that meets your needs is critically important. But we know that far too often, the color of your skin the zip code where you live determines your health outcomes. 
Here in Minnesota, we take a lot of pride in being one of the top states in the nations on all the lists that you want to be on top of. Healthcare, education, quality of life, you name it. But the reality is different for Black, Indigenous, and Minnesotans of color who face some of the worst disparities in the nation. The disparities that have been with us since the time of colonization are impossible to ignore any longer. When we're facing a virus that impacts those with underlying conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure more seriously, we have to grapple with the fact that Black, Indigenous, and communities of color have higher rates of those conditions. When we're talking about exposure and vulnerability to COVID-19, we have to talk about the fact that frontline essential jobs that we have relied on so heavily this past year are disproportionately filled by Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And as we are thankful for the incredible achievements of effective, safe vaccines in less than one year, we must now meet the challenge of making sure that everyone who wants a vaccine, especially those who are most at risk, can get it. We have to look at the full picture, tell the truth, the full story of our state, our country, and our world. And as we discuss the full global picture of health, it is my honor to introduce the opening keynote speaker, Dr. Tedros. Dr. Tedros has served as the Director General of the World Health Organization since 2017. Like many leaders in public health and government, he has faced a year that none of us could have imagined and met this challenge with focus and commitments to the health of all people. He was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2020. And Dr. Tedros and I share a vision of a world in which everyone can live a healthy, productive life, regardless of who they are or where they live. And it's on all of us here, in whatever sphere of influence we might have, to work towards that world. With that, Dr. Tedros. What does health mean to you? For many people, it is the foundation to do the things in life they love, to enjoy the company of others, to work, to play, to learn, to laugh. Health is life. So many people have lost their health in the past year, but they have lost so much more, their jobs, their ability to see their families, to travel, to live life. And more than 2.7 million of our sisters and brothers have lost their lives. And we have lost them. The hard truth is that some of those people died simply because they could not get the care they needed because of where they live, or where they are, or how much they earn. Inequality is not a new problem, but COVID-19 has brought it into sharp focus. The pandemic has pushed an estimated 120 million people into extreme poverty. It has significantly increased gender inequalities, with more women 
than men leaving the labor force. And as we speak, rich countries are vaccinating their populations while the world is poor, watch and wait. Health inequalities are not just unfair. They make the world less safe and less sustainable. So, as they build back from COVID-19, it's vital for all governments to invest in better health services and remove the barriers that prevent so many people from using them. So, more people have the chance to live healthy lives. This World Health Day, we're calling on you to use your voice and your vote for a fairer, healthier world. Thank you, Dr. Tedros, and thank you, Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. It's been such a pleasure working this year with the World Health Organization, and we thank you very much for all of your assistance, yourself, your staff, and all who've made this day, this special day possible. It's also my privilege and honor to introduce our next presenter. Uh, Michael Ninehaus is the U.S. president of the UNESCO, of UNICEF, the United Nations um, Children and Families. And UNICEF is the organization globally that partners with the World Health Organization to handle the distribution to low and middle income countries around the planet um, as part of the COVEX, the international humanitarian organization that's overseeing that distribution that's tackling directly the inequities and inequalities that come um, with the distribution of the pandemic treating vaccines that we're um, now doing right now. They are in the middle of that fight to get the vaccines out and to make sure people can use those to head off the new variants that could set us back to day one again. We're very honored to have Michael here today to share with us his 30,000 foot perspective on how is it going in our planet's effort to address health inequities and how can we help UNICEF and others to reach their goal. Michael's also a Minnesota native and 25 years of his career has been in global development and humanitarian assistance. So we're really welcome uh, Michael back to his home state. And thank you so much, Michael, for joining us here today. Hi, good morning. Uh, it's really great to, to be with you. It's, it's wonderful to be back in Minnesota uh, virtually, uh, if, uh, if nothing else. Uh, I am a, a Minnesota na native, as Mark mentioned. I grew up in the Twin Cities uh, in suburban Apple Valley. I have family stretched out from Lake Minnetonka in the west to the St. Croix Valley in the east to Egan in the south. Uh, I'm a big fan of Minnesota United soccer team, Go Loons. Uh, professionally, I've been working in the global humanitarian and development space for 25 years, much of that time focused on global health issues. And, and so your focus on, on health equity is right at the center of my interest and passion. 
I took over as CEO of UNICEF USA about a year ago, just after the pandemic locked everything down. And, and at the same time that UNICEF's role in striving for equity in the global distribution of COVID-related diagnostics, therapeutics, and now vaccines began to ratchet up. Uh, a little bit about UNICEF. I'm sure most of you know UNICEF. We are the United Nations Children Fund. We work relentlessly day in and day out to give every child an equitable chance in life through our programs in healthcare and immunizations, safe water and sanitation, nutrition, education, emergency relief, social protection, and more. And this year we're celebrating our 75th uh, year in existence. UNICEF is a UN agency, but it isn't funded by the UN. Our resources come from voluntary contributions from governments around the world and from the private sector, philanthropists and donors. I lead UNICEF USA. We're an independent nonprofit here in the US charged with rallying the American public and government to support the world's most vulnerable children through UNICEF. Uh, working through UNICEF, we have helped more uh, save more children's lives than any other humanitarian organization. We also do some work here in the US to advance the rights of children and the well-being of children. One of our programs is called the Child-Friendly Cities Initiative, in which we work with municipalities to help ensure its budgets, policies, and programs create a healthy, equitable environment for all children. And we're proud to count Minneapolis as one of our Child-Friendly Cities partners. Uh, today, UNICEF is engaged in the single biggest effort in its history, working to ensure equitable access to the COVID-19 vaccine for health workers and other frontline workers, vulnerable adults, and ultimately everyone in 92 low and lower middle income countries. We're also supporting the vaccine procurement for another 100 countries or so. And we're, we're doing something that's never been done before, uh, something that UNICEF has never done before, a truly global vaccination campaign like this, and to do it as equitably as possible. The goal is to get 2 billion doses delivered and into the arms uh, in, uh, in those uh, countries by the end of this calendar year, and then to keep going next year. To date, we've shipped 34 million doses of the COVID vaccines into 99 countries, and we should reach more than 200 million doses uh, by the end of May. You know, in both promoting and defending the idea of global equity, I've been saying for months that the health worker in Malawi needs the vaccine as much as the health worker in New York or, or in St. Paul. I was thrilled two weeks ago to see a video from our field office in Malawi featuring a nurse there who had just received her first vaccine dose. It was later than the health workers here in the U.S., so not completely equitable, but, but it is happening. So why has UNICEF uh, taken a critical lead role in this global vaccine effort? Our mission and our work is child-focused, and yet the vaccines aren't going to children, at least not now. Uh, there are two reasons that we're at the center of this. First, we are already the world's largest procurer and distributor of vaccines. Each year, we procure about 2 billion doses of essential basic childhood vaccines and then vaccinate nearly half the world's children under five. We have the global procurement mechanisms, the supply chain, staff on the ground, relationships with ministries of health and uh, local health centers, and with the vaccinators themselves, the, the, the health workers who actually put shots in arms. 
This is a core competency for UNICEF and, and no one else has it. Uh, when the World Health Organization and a few others got together once uh, the pandemic had begun and vaccines were first described, they put together a partnership that they called ACT-A, the, um, uh, basically the, to accelerate the tools for, uh, for combating COVID, both in diagnostics, uh, in treatment, and in vaccines. The vaccine pillar of that is called COVAX, and, and they turned to UNICEF uh, as the natural choice uh, to do the actual work within the COVAX pillar, the equitable distribution of vaccines. Uh, so uh, it was a natural fit for us, something, again, that is a core competency. The second reason that we are at the center of this is that we are, in fact, child-focused, and we've seen the impact of COVID on children around the world. It has been devastating. Children are typically those getting infected uh, with COVID-19 and su aren't suffering the symptoms, but they have suffered nonetheless. Globally, over a billion children were forced out of school. And still today, there are over 160 million children who have not been back in the classroom at all. Imagine the impact on their education. COVID caused food insecurity. Uh, that has put an additional 6.7 million children at risk of severe malnutrition. This is the first year that poverty rates are expected to increase in the past 25 years, and that directly impacts how children live. Early in the pandemic, the Gates Foundation put out a study that said we had lost 25 years of progress fighting poverty in 25 weeks. Kids need a chance to reclaim and restart their lives, and that won't happen until we end the pandemic. And we won't end the pandemic until the vaccines are equitably distributed across the globe. You know, um, uh, well, you know that we really have two big reasons to champion equity in this case. First, those of us in wealthy countries have a moral obligation to pitch in. As a country, we've always risen to that call to help uh, those who lack the resources that we do. We need our government our corporate and foundation sectors, our private philanthropists, and everyday donors to provide the resources to make this global vaccine campaign happen. Second, we have a, a reason of self-interest. Until we end the pandemic everywhere, we haven't ended the pandemic. Until everyone is safe, no one is safe. Until we get everyone vaccinated, uh, the risk that a variant of COVID um, uh, that, that, that isn't tackled by the current vaccines will arise and circle the globe again is real. We saw how fast that can happen, and we have to keep it from happening again. Uh, so we want you to join with us. I, I'm not making a fundraising pitch here to you, but I am making an end the pandemic pitch. We need everyone to pitch in and help out if you want to learn more about uh, what we're doing at UNICEF, you can visit our website, unicefusa.org, or you could send me a note personally, happy to answer your questions. My email is simply michael at unicefusa.org. Uh, thanks again for your focus on health equity. It's the right one now. It is one of the essential issues of our time, and we all need to be focused on it. Thanks for your work, uh, and thank you for allowing us to share a little bit about UNICEF's work fighting the pandemic. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, and thank you for reminding us about 
the other implications for our children, but for our future on education, <clears throat> on livelihood, and for the work of UNICEF in helping to bring reality and shape and logistical pa pandemic response to the whole planet. So we are with you and we support your work, but we also really learn from you and are inspired by your efforts. And those of us here in Minneapolis have been uh, greatly appreciative of the designation of our city as a child-friendly city. And we have work to do to make sure that child-friendly in the time of a pandemic, in the time of this COVID-19 crisis has new and deeper meaning connecting us to the whole world. 